Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got not one but both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, we've got the other author of Know Your Lore over on Blizzard Watch. That would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how's it going? It's warm. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. We kind of like went from winter to summer without much in the yeah. middle, which is we unusual we, for here. For here, it's been getting more usual. This year, we literally had like a week of spring. Yeah. Like there was, it was still getting to negative five, like routinely in April. And then for one week, it was like gloriously, like, I guess the high, the, the highest it got was like 60. <laughs> and that 60 was 60 Fahrenheit. It. Yeah, and that was the the one week, and then from then it's basically, if it cracks, it it cracks eighty regularly. Yeah, now. that's where so we're at, and that's not that's nothing. We give me like two more months, and you'll see real heat. This is just a warm up, so it's going to be terrible. Well, we aren't here to talk about the weather. We're here to talk about the lore. And speaking of lore, we've got our other co-host who is also a lore aficionado as well. That would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Hello, everybody. I bought metallic Sharpies this week, and I am way too excited about this. Oh, I love the silver one. Well, actually, I like the silver ones and the copper ones both. Yeah, I've got I've got bronze, gold, and silver because I do a lot of um, I do costume stuff with yeah. foam. Like I'm not nearly as good as like professional cosplayers or anything like that. But it's really really hard when you, you have black EVA foam and you want to draw on it, so you have your lines. And it's like the black is okay, but silver is like, hey, look, you're an idiot. Don't cross this line. Yeah. So. <laughs> it makes my life oh so much easier. See, I like carrying the metallic sharpies for when I'm like signing stuff for people because it just looks nicer. <laughs> Especially if I'm doing books that have you know dark backgrounds on them. It's oh yeah. Like, okay, cool. Absolutely. The silver really pops, and then it everything is all happy. Yay! All right. So today on Lore Watch, we're actually going to be I I went digging around in the backlog of emails because we had a lot of emails from you guys. Um, over the course of the last couple of weeks. I know last time we were talking mostly Overwatch. Uh, this time we're going to be talking, well, I think most of our emails are World of Warcraft based, but our first one is actually from somebody wanting to know a little bit more about Diablo 3, which we don't get to talk about very often, so I'm kind of happy about that. Um, if you have an email for Lorewatch and you'd like to send that in, you can send that in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com, and just be sure to put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show and not the other one. Uh, first email is from Olaf, who says, Hello! I have a question regarding Diablo 3. It always seemed a bit weird to me that Teriel turned human when he rejected his heavenly powers and fell to sanctuary in the beginning of Diablo 3. If he rejects his powers, shouldn't he lose all his powers, not gain the demonic powers he needs to become human, seeing as how humans are Nephilim, which in turn are a mix of angels and demons? Thanks for all the great podcasts. Olaf. Rossi, um, I'm going to hand this to you because you're kind of the expert in this field. Okay. Well, he doesn't become human. He's not human. The When you begin Reliquary of Souls, there's a cinematic where um, Malfiel shows up and is looking for the Black Soul Stone. He specifically kills all the Haradrim because they're human. He does not kill Tyrael because Tyrael is not human. Tyrael does not have any demon in his, his, his ancestry. He has no demonic essence. There's nothing demonic about him. He's, Could in fact, still him- angel. Could we call him mortal-ish? Mortal. He's, he's mortal. He's absolutely mortal now, but he's still an angel. Okay. You can be mortal without being human, is what yeah. it boils down to, yeah. The thing is, is that other angels are not mortal. They are immortal. They are, in fact, when they die, 
they their energy returns to the crystalline arch in heaven and a new uh, angel is created. So the angels don't die as such. Even if you kill one, he'll be back. He may not remember everything. There's some you, you hear that when they talk about what's going to happen to Malthiel. There's some wiggle room on what exactly you're going to get. But their essence returns to the crystal arch and is recreated. Tyriel has pulled himself out of that cycle. He's made himself something at once less and more than other angels. But he's still an angel. Uh, for instance, his sword, Alduin, Alduin, still works for him. It still summons the power of justice. He's still justice. He's just a mortal. So he's not human. He's an angel. He's just a mortal angel. I like Tyriel a lot. I always kind of wondered about that, though, at the beginning. That Well, with that whole big reveal where it's like, oh, he fell out of heaven and he was the thing. And that was a wow. And if I remember correctly, isn't that like not just the they established that in the knack books, too, didn't they? Like they talked about, you know, angels and demons both could theoretically become mortal. Like they could have their immortality ripped away from them. It doesn't didn't necessarily make them human, but or Nephilim, but they could basically they just could die. So. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's, in fact, um, they also can fall. They don't just have to turn mortal. They yep. can fall to the other side. Yep. Um, you see at least two angels, uh, Israel comes to mind, who've basically become demons. Uh, you don't see any demons who've become angels, but the possibility is out there. So it's just if the that, angel becomes a demon, does that, do they just like morph completely from angel to demon or is there like an overlap period where they're Nephilim in the middle or how does that work? They don't ever become Nephilim because Nephilim aren't just half angel, half demon. They're specifically a creation of melding the two into one being. They're descendants from them. Uh, They're not just split in half. Um, In fact, Nephilim are interesting because they're a recombination of the way the, if you go back to the very beginning of the Diablo universe, um, you end up, you have a being called Anu. Who the primordial Anu was everything, and everything was him. There was nothing in the cosmos but Anu, uh, so there wasn't any definition or orientation. And then he kind of split universe. himself, right? He decided that he want. Well, saying he is kind of even weird here, and even the book is like about that. But basically, Anu took everything that it did not like about itself and ripped it out. But all those aspects couldn't be expunged; they just lived on. Um, he basically became the bright light that cast a shadow. Now, since he wasn't everything anymore, he could cast a shadow, and the shadow was Tathamet. Tathamet and Anu then went into war, the perfect diamond warrior Anu, the perfected one, versus so Tathamet. Tathamet was pretty much all of Anu's discarded bits that he didn't want. Yeah. Or the it prime, didn't want. It, <laughs> yeah. the, pri- the prime evil, they called it. Yeah. And uh, when Tathamet and Anu came together in combat, they don't, we don't know how long they fought. They could have fought for a second. They could have fought for an eternity. But they basically hit each other and both died. Uh, Tathamet's broken corpse fell through everything and became the basis of the Burning Hells. Um, Anu was apparently wiped out except for the crystal, crystal arch is Anu's spine. And that went forth into creation and became the basis of the High Heavens. Ew. And the okay. battle, the place where they fought, the battleground where they, they battled, the, became a scar on reality, and that's pandemonium. And in the absolute center of it, the, the thing that was called the Eye of Anu was left behind. And the Eye of Anu was the World Stone. So the thing that could make new universes, the World Stone, was left in that spot in pandemonium. And that's why Nephilim is special, because Nephilim were engendered on a world 
created specifically by the world stone. So that mm-hmm. world was in, that world was engendered with an aspect of the real the original Anu. It has both Tathamet and Anu in it from the beginning. That world was a creation of an angel and a demon working together using the world stone to create a perfect hiding place where the neither the angels nor demons could find them. And the angels and demons didn't find them until humans started messing around with magic much, much later. Uh, when the, uh, the angels and demons that ran away from the, the great conflict, because they're like, this, the, the eternal conflict's never going to end. That's, it's in the name. And we don't want any more of it. We're tired of it. We've been doing this for like, you know, an eternity. And we're sick of it. So they, you know, they got together. Um, oh, bloody heck. I can't remember the names other than Lilith. Um, Lilith and, oh, he's even, Inarius. Lilith and Inarius were the, the ringleaders on each side. Lilith was the, quote unquote, daughter of, of Mephistopheles. And, uh, you know, Inarius was called, he's been called an archangel. I don't know if he actually was an archangel. I don't know if he was on the Angeris Council or not. Uh, it's kind of up in the air. But he was very important. Uh, for instance, he and Tyriel were great friends. And so Inarius and, and Lilith both got, you know, angels and demons together who also felt the way they did. And they, they went to Pandemonium Fortress. And each side has been, ta- you know, attacking Pandemonium Fortress and then changing it when they get it. And then the other side would attack and get it, and they'd change it again back and forth. Nobody's ever had an angel and a demon working together to take the place. So no one had any idea that they couldn't defend it. Uh, so when Tyriel and Lilith got the World Stone, the Eye of Anu, they successfully absconded with it and completely ruined the eternal conflict. Like Because they were fighting over that World Stone because it could make universes. It could, it could create anything you wanted. It could change the nature of reality. With it gone the prize of the eternal conflict was gone. So the angels and demons were like, well, we're going to keep fighting as we hate each other, but there's no real point to it anymore. So So I have a question for you because um, I did play Diablo 2. I played it quite a bit, but I played it with friends. So we didn't really do the whole story mode thing. We all just kind of were playing multiplayer and not really paying attention to the story so much as smashing everything and getting all the loot, right? Um, Yeah, so you were playing Diablo 2. That's how it works. Yeah. So when Diablo 3 came out, I actually like got to get into the story and stuff, such as it was, and, and get involved with that, and I really liked it and everything. What I'm wondering is, we have humanity, obviously, like people are calling them humans or whatever, but then there's also the Nephilim. Aren't they kind of the same thing, or is there humans <laughs> and Nephilim, and Nephilim are kind of humans, but not? I was best, basically when Inarius and Lilith came to to Earth, Earth sorry Sanctuary, my my bad. Um, when they came to Sanctuary, when they made it and, and infested it, they spent a lot of time just being for a while because you know, hey, we don't have to fight anymore. But they were lonely, and they they were the only ones they had. So angels and demons began pairing off because you know sometimes you 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 know there's nothing else to do, and they began actually reproducing, which was not something they expected to have happen. Except Lilith might have kind of expected it because you get the sense Lilith wanted to change the rules of the Great War, the eternal conflict. And one of the things she foresaw was that if you had a being that was both angel and demon in one, there'd be no conflict. That, that being would be way more powerful than an angel or a demon because it would be able to choose what it did. Angels and demons don't really have free choice. If an angel tries to do something evil, you know, they, they can do it. But it breaks them. That's why you get Iswal, and he breaks and becomes a demon. If a demon wants to do something good, nine times out of ten, it breaks them, and they do it wrong or poorly. They're not I have a question about that. Yeah, let me just get this part. Yeah. Answer, answer question. Um, 
so they basically began reproducing, and it was Inarius who realized that the, the offspring we're making are way stronger than we are. They, they potentially far eclipse us. They, they, could, they could go forth into the cosmos and become like a plague that neither heaven nor hell could stop. So he, he forbade them to make any more. But by then, the, 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 the offspring of the angels and demons had gone off to have their own offspring. And so there were the Nephilim they were creating their own civilizations on sanctuary. Uh, and they, they were no longer something you could stop just by stopping angels and demons. They were reproducing with each other. So he went to, to the world stone and used its power to alter sanctuary so that Nephilim couldn't happen. Like the power that they had would be leached away by the world stone. It would go into the world stone. As a result of doing this, he made himself very powerful because he had a direct line to the world stone and it was tapping in all that, that Nephilim power. And it made Anarius like unto a god. He, he was practically unstoppable. This, the other angels and demons began talking about killing the Nephilim. Like we should just kill them before they eclipse us because there are still some out right now that are so powerful. Even with you, what you've done, they could still be pros a threat. Lilith was like, nope. And she killed them to, to keep the Nephilim alive. So Inarius imprisoned her because he knew, oh, you did this on purpose. You wanted the Nephilim to exist. So like when you play the game and there's like these very powerful figures, like um, the, I'm trying to think of the name, um, like Bull Kathos or his brother, Liakviar, um, those guys are the original Nephilim. They go back to like the, the descendants of Inarius and Lilith or the other angels and demons. Humans are what happens if you use the world stone to make it so that the, the, the enormous power of Anu can't be passed on because a Nephilim has the power of both an angel and a demon. They have that original primordial Anu power, and that's why they can get so strong. Even if they're, they're still mortal beings, they, they have a finite lifespan. They can be so ridiculously powerful because they're not limited the way that angels and demons are. So that makes them a threat. That's why the world stone was altered so that they would turn into just humans. They wouldn't get that power anymore. They would just become mortal beings that lived a certain amount of time and then died. And when Tyriel, since we're going back to Tyriel here, when Tyriel threw Aldruin at the World Stone and shattered it to prevent uh, the fall. Yeah. Okay. So when he did that, he got rid of the World Stone. The World Stone exploded and its power went forth into the world. There's nobody linked to it anymore to take it. And so Nephilim began being born again. Were they and that's born what, again or were there humans that were suddenly suffused with that kind of a power? If you look at um, if you look at the game, um, the the male barbarian is obviously very old. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's a nephilim. Uh, none of the characters are young enough. Like it's twenty years since the destruction of the World Stone. Only like a few of them look to be young enough to have been born after that happened. So I'm just so, wondering if it was like they had latent power that returned to them and they sort of awakened like seems, a slayer seems, or something like that, you know? Seems very likely that the Nephilim that exists as of, you know, playing Diablo 3, whoever you're choosing to be the Nephilim, that person basically just finds themselves becoming the Nephilim. They just, one day, yeah. I can do stuff I couldn't do before. They, they talked about this in, uh, I can't remember the name of the, the, the trilogy. I think it was Birthright. right? Was the Sinwar? Yeah, Sinwar. Yeah, they they talk about it a little bit in Sinwar, where there's like this, there's always this spark in them, right? Like th- when humans are born, there's like this little tiny piece of them that that sort of, for essential, 
lack of a better term, is like a battery for this type of stuff. And if the world stones out there, it can be awakened. It can be it could be charged up. And so I think that's really what the case is in like Diablo three is now that that power is back out into the world, that that power that was being leached away from all of these batteries essentially is going back into them. And so like if they're older, yeah, they just get they find themselves back and being powered up. And because the new souls that are being born have that little piece in them that's already, you know, capable, it has the capacity for it. They get charged up as well. So that little spark of potential is just kind of... No wonder Tyrael is so worried at the end of Reaper's Souls, though. Mm -hmm. Well, he should be because the the Sin War is actually a good thing to mention here because Aldisian, who is the son of Diomed, uh, Aldisian, Diomed is his name, he was uh, the brother of... Um, oh bloody heck! I can't remember his name, but Odysseus' brother is the guy who basically met Rathma and followed the founded the priests of Rathma. Mendelm, Mendelm is his brother. They were late generation Nephilim. They were create. They were born way after uh, Narius used the World Stone to alter the world. But the World Stone is not easily manipulated, and it was the World Stone. It there's some hints that the World Stone wants them to exist. The world stone wants there to be Nephilim. They're supposed to be there. That's what the world was made for. Um, so Lilith had been banished, but she was returning. Inarius started up his own fake religion to try and stop it. And quickly the, the new generation of Nephilim were being born, despite Inarius. He, he couldn't stop it. And in, in, in the end, Odysseus actually stops both the forces like heaven and hell discover sanctuary and they're invading that's what the sin war is it's a war between heaven and hell on mm-hmm. sanctuary Odysseus stops it by himself and he's he's powerful enough that the entire Angiris council and the prime and lesser evils can do nothing to stop him they are helpless before him the only reason he's not around right now ruling sanctuary is he looked at it and said no I gotta fix things or otherwise this is just gonna be a, a charnel house so he basically locks the world stone back down using his powers and basically restarts the whole ban on Nephilim. And he sacrifices his life to do so. It kills him to do it. But at the end of that, when the remember the, uh, oh, bloody heck, uh, I keep forgetting people's names. And this one's really important. He's the head you find and then you raise him. Uh, oh, Zoltan Cool. Yeah. Zoltan Cool. Thank you. When, when, you, when Zoltan Cool talks about how the angels v- voted on whether or not to destroy humanity. That happened after the Sin War. It was the, the angels had, had discovered Sanctuary. They knew where it was. And they're like, what do we do? Do we just kill them all? Like, we could just kill them, I guess. They're, they're like part demons. So certainly the demons might oppose us, but they might not. They're, they could probably be worried about them too. Should we kill them all or not? And it, was, it came down to Tyriel's vote. Like, it was the uh, um, Malthiel abstained, mm-hmm. uh, v- Valor Boy. Imperius voted to kill them. Uh, the other two voted not to Imperious kill him. Imperius would vote to kill him. Yeah. Imperius yeah, wanted to kill him. Character. Uh, fate and Hope both voted. I think, you know, Fate, yeah, Fate voted not to. Hope voted not to. And so it came down to Tyrael. If Tyrael had voted to do it, uh, they would have done it. The, it two to two tie with an, abs- with an abstention, they would have done it. So Tyrael had to vote against it. And so Tyrael basically said, look, uh, Inarius has got a lot of problems, but these beings are not, it's not their fault. They didn't, it wouldn't be just to kill them for this. It's not a just act. And he had, he had actually fought fought originally when the angels invaded sanctuary, he was all for wiping it out. Mm -hmm. 
he, when he saw the, the Nephilim, when he saw Aldisian, he realized, no, this wouldn't be just. He sacrificed himself to prevent this, that a just cosmos can't punish these people for their ancestors' sins. You know, it's, it's just not just. So he voted against it. They didn't destroy Sanctuary. Um, I might be getting the, the amount of votes wrong. I'm not sure, but I know that that's what happened. Tyrael didn't voted not to destroy Sanctuary, and so it wasn't destroyed. But from that moment on, he, the reason that the Haradrim existed, the reason that Tyrael basically cheated throughout like the entire – they came up with a deal with the, the primevals. They went to them and said, look, if you want, we can go to war here. We can fight right here, and you'll lose and Mephistopheles was like, you know, I keep saying Mephistopheles was Mephisto. Mephisto was like, I don't think we will, but okay, keep talking. I'm listening. And they're like, or we can both agree to just stay the heck out of here. We don't want these things out in the cosmos. We don't want them, you know, you, you think you want them now because you think you can get them on your side, but you might be wrong. And Mephisto's like, all right, we'll agree to a pact to leave sanctuary alone. We'll let these humans continue to be humans. As long as they're humans, they're not a real big threat. They can continue to be humans, but you give us Inarius. I want to torture him. And the angels considered it and talked it over. And finally were like, all right, you can have him." And so they gave Inarius over to Mephisto and Mephisto began torturing him. And he still is. Apparently. Yep. Diablo three lore. It's such a cheery. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's just Ron, so lighthearted and fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, you know, Sanctuary is what it is. So, But all of this feeds into the end of Reaper of Souls because Malthiel's heart broke when the, when the Worldstone was gone. Like when it was taken from Pandemonium, he, he flipped out. He was like, where is it? Where's the Worldstone? The Worldstone is all important. It can make whole realities. I, we got to find it. And, he, and eventually he found out that it was on Sanctuary. And he was like, all right, you know where it is. It's safe. So I don't have to worry about it. But then Tyrael broke it. And that's if you if you play Reaper Souls, that's the moment where Malthiel began hearing these the wails of dying souls. Mm-hmm. He goes looking and finds that the world stone is destroyed and the, the spirits of the dead are like exist in this weird place. And he's like, what is this? This isn't mortality is so strange and horrible. Like, why do they die? And he's, he becomes convinced that they die because of their demon aspect, and he becomes the, uh, you know, angel of death. All of that is because Tyrael broke the world stone. Well, and I guess it should also be noted that before he became the angel of death, Malthiel was the angel of, or the archangel of wisdom. Yeah, he like, was wisdom. He was yeah. the role that Tyrael tried to take on the, yep. on the, on the uh, council. He was wisdom. And uh, that's Tyrael's, I think that's Tyrael's mortality coming through. That he mm-hmm. tried to try to take a role that wasn't his, yeah, because he believed they needed it. But look how it worked out. The yep. Black Soul Stone got you know taken by Malthiel. Malthiel got himself killed by the the Nephilim, which means Malthiel will will in some form return. There will be a new Angel of Wisdom. He will be born out of since since you saved the Arch in uh, Diablo three. He will come back. There will be another Malthiel. Whether or not it's anything like this Malthiel is up in the air. But Tyrael and Justice are now mortal. What does that mean? When Tyrael dies, he's going to die. Will Justice die with him? Or will th- there be a new Justice that has nothing to do with Tyrael? See, and, I'm, and this is one of the things that I always kind of wondered about, too, particularly with that sort of Justice becoming mortal. It almost seems to feed into the mythology of Diablo where the with the creation of the Nephilim that bringing the end of the great conflict, essentially, or that was the goal of it, uh, with all of the balancing that comes around this this sort of mortal, this humanity, um, the, this this melding of the two, 
uh, eternal warriors, right? The, the heavens and the hells. It basically, to me, almost represents that justice is the only form of justice that's going to be left is going to be coming from the hands of of, quote unquote, mortals, no matter how powerful they are. And I think that I think that's kind of interesting and it fits really, really well with it, because something you said earlier where like angels and demons don't don't have free will. I don't necessarily buy that for some of the things that have happened. I think they have a certain amount of it, but if something higher or something in, in an order of magnitude above them calls them to do a certain thing, they're compelled to do it. I think free will is not the right word exactly. But they, they, they definitely have, have choices. because they have, like, intri- they have an intrinsic nature. Sure, but, and but that'll agree thing, with. Yeah, and with the weird part is that calling it good and evil is almost too simplistic because yeah, angels, angels do horrific things just to win the war. And demons could very well – there's like parts of the sin war where demons are doing like, you know, good works and charitable intent just to like compete with Venarius. Mm-hmm. So I think you're right in that it's not that they don't, you know, don't have free will so much as they, they want to be the thing they are. And they can't imagine not being that thing to the point where they break if they try to. Yeah, an and angel think, trying to be an angel trying to just do you know an angel will break if it tries to do be a demon and will become a demon and vice versa. I think well, that's fair. And I and I think that's why in in particular like um, Lilith and Anarius they work in that sort of capacity because the whole thing with like Lilith to begin with is I mean he's captured she frees him and then they run off and go do things because it's all part of their ultimate plan the whole meddling the create the creation of sanctuary the creation of the nephilim works for both sides both natures which i think is really really interesting as well because it is as an agent of chaos an unexpected thing to sort of ruin the eternal conflict right like it's something that's not expected it's something that's not you know, part of what the cosmos has. So it's throwing a monkey wrench into that fits perfectly with the, the burning hell sort of mentality of let's do weird things. And then on the other side, you have the angelic host going, we need to win to end the conflict. And this is just a win condition. This is another win condition for them because if the Nephilim rise and sort of take over everything and there is no more conflict, that's a victory. And I think it's kind of cool because it, it fits both in a way that people I don't think would expect. And yeah, I, but at like the same that. Time, I really, really like that. Yeah. But at the same time, they didn't, neither of them, there were both angels and demons that hated this idea and didn't want it. Oh, sure. Not ju- and not just because they wanted to keep the war the way it was. Um, some of them recognized the Nephilim aren't going to give one side the victory. They're going to replace us. Yeah. And, but, and but that's, I mean, that's, that's another the perfect aspect. Thing. That's another perfect aspect of showing sort of that that sort of free will, that sort of that 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 mentality that they they look out for their self interests, right? Yeah, this is, it's interesting too because Tyrael again comes in. Tyrael is actually justice has compelled him to defy the high heavens for a very long time now. Uh, we talked about this, you know, how can he be a human? He's not human, and I think there's really funny text in the game where you find like he has significant trouble with like aspects of mortality. Like I, my favorite one is when he's talking to Laura Null and he's like, you know, Laura, he's like, oh, my stomach hurts. And Laura's like, did you forget yeah. to eat again? Did, <laughs> did you forget to eat again? No. In fact, I decided to get all of my eating out of the way right up front. So I just ate and ate and ate until I couldn't eat another bite. Oh, dear. Sounds like you ate too much then. <laughs> it's like you realize Laura is going to have to explain pooping to Teriel if he hasn't already. You know what I mean? Like there's there's conversations between the two of them. You're like, oh, poor Laura. Lorath has had to explain every aspect of mortality to this this guy because he doesn't he doesn't get it at all. Um, so there's 
Tyrael's been cheating for a very long time. Tyrael created the Haradrim. Um, De- Decker Kane's ancestors who were in the Haradrim, they, 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 they joined because Tyrael formed it. Um, Sultan Kul rebelled against Tyrael because he was like, no, you want to just catch them in these imperfect soul stones. We can make a better one that can catch anything. I can catch angels because why should we allow you angels to interfere in our world? You know, doing what Nephilim are supposed to do. Yeah. And, you know, Zoldan Cool is fascinating to me because he never lies to you once. You, there is no exchange you have with Zoldan Cool where he tells you a lie. Correct. Period. He never lies to you. Everything he says to you is the truth. So, yeah, we've been talking about this for a while, though. I think we've answered the question if you guys want to move on. Yeah, we have answered the question there. But I think what we can draw from all of this discussion is that Diablo 4 is a thing that very much needs to happen. Hi, Blizzard. Yeah. Yeah. Can you do that? (laughs) We're waiting. And and seriously, if you're interested in Diablo lore, um, the the Sin War novels that that, that, uh, Joe mentioned are good to read. But get the book. There's like two or three books. The Book of Cain and the Book of Tyrael. Yeah, the both of those need to be picked up as well. Yes, I agree. Uh, they they're really helpful in you know answering a lot of questions. The lore got expanded enormously in each game. Diablo two is a quantum leap in the lore from from Diablo. Oh yeah, and and Diablo three jacks it up quite a bit. The entire thing with Anu and Tathamet is from Diablo three. It was never it was never mentioned in Diablo two. It's sort so. of um, like the difference for people who are more familiar with the Warcraft universe the difference between warcraft one two and three three was substantially more intricate robust from a yeah. story perspective yeah. than either mm-hmm. of its predecessors so and then world yeah. of warcraft of course has been built on that um so yeah diablo 4 would love to see that happen because seriously Tyrael's uh-oh at the end of of reaper of souls makes so much sense because he's looking at the nephilim and going oh wait did I do that? <laughs> it's like the Nephilim are on the rise all over again, which is kind of the thing that nobody really wanted in theory. So, yeah, we'll have to see where that goes. I hope we do. That said, I, you know, in the future, I, I'm fairly confident Rossi would be happy with this as well. Uh, but I'm always happy to talk about Diablo. Always. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you guys have Diablo lore questions, you can feel free to email those in. Anyway, moving on to a different game entirely um we got a couple of emails that had like multiple questions in them but there were two questions that kind of overlapped between the two of them so i'm going to read both of these uh or i'm going to read the appropriate questions from both of these two emails and then we're going to talk about that for a little bit here okay uh first email is from Anawen, who says the question that they had was, I wanted to ask what the status of the Blue Dragonflight is at the moment. As in, who's taken over command and are they still functioning? I know they lost their immortality at the end of Cataclysm, but I assume they still have major power and roles to play in the world of Azeroth. Has it been covered as to whether all the Dragonflights have someone in command after losing their Dragonflight leader, i.e. Malagos and Ysera, now Ysera? Um, the other email that we have is from Callie, who's a paladin and uh, Blizzard Watch supporter on Patreon, thanks for that, who says, Alex Straza is one of the two OG aspects still kicking. With your speculation spectacles on, do you think she will last with Bolvar and Rathion out there? So, let's talk about dragons. <laughs> let's just talk about dragons for a little while, because I do like internet dragons a lot. Um, as to your first question, as far as the status of the blue dragon flight, if you played through the mage legendary chain in Cataclysm, 
Um, you have the answer to that question. Caligos was chosen as the next leader of the Blue Dragonflight. His role or his his time in that role was a little bit shortchanged because obviously at the end of Cataclysm, it was like he was made leader and then a month or two later, the dragon aspects lost their powers. Mm-hmm. Now, mind you, it was in the name of the greater good, so I'm sure he doesn't mind too much. And he's currently serving in Dalaran right now. Actually, he's with all of the mages out there, but um, beyond that, I don't think there's actually much that he's been super up to beyond that. Um, Alex we see him. A, yeah. Well, one thing. We do see him in Legion. Yeah. I mean, not, a not just... Times. Yeah, he's in uh, it's, Dalaran. It, it's clear that when you when you do your uh, artifact and you're doing balance of power... Yeah, the balance takes, of power thing, yeah. he comes into that, too. He takes you out to uh, Azuna, and you he meets up with Xenagos, and it's clear that he treats Xenagos with great respect. It's clear that Xenagos defers to him. Malagos, I mean, Caligos is still in charge as much as anybody is in charge of the Blue Dragon's mm-hmm. But they don't tend to run themselves, like... After Malagos, the Blue Dragonflight runs itself kind of in a, you know what you're doing, do your best. And that, part of that's because of the, the stuff with the whelps and so forth that we see. The last Blue Dragons that are ever going to be born have been born. Yeah, and, I, and I, I, that's fascinating to me too, though, because like, we never find out why that is. Or at least we haven't found out yet, right? Like, Senego says that, that the dragons can no longer bear eggs, but we have no clue why. I think it was mentioned in a they in an said, Ask C Dev. Yeah, in an Ask C Dev, they said that when the dragon, when the when the aspects expended the last of their powers to stop Deathwing, that essentially, when they said, you know, it's the age of mortals now, it meant that the dragons mm. weren't going to have any more young, and they would eventually die out. See, and I, I, I guess I hate to Which say I this, which I think like is that. kind of like. The worst reward for good service I've ever heard in my life. I also, it's kind of dumb. It's like, dang. I, I don't necessarily accept that answer quite yet. And the only reason I don't accept that answer is because proto-dragons are still out there. And we still have drakes. And we still have other things in this family of uh, sort Wait, of creatures no. that are still producing eggs. I right. would certainly not. I I personally would be fine with dragons sticking around. I don't have a problem with that, and I don't haven't seen anything in game that specifically said, "Okay, the Titans have you know you've used up your blessing now you can't have kids." I haven't seen that in game. Well, because they were um, able to have kids before the blessing. That's the, that's the thing that bothers me, right? Like, well, before they... yeah, but you could argue that the dragons are an artificial creation. I think what bothers because... me though is that the Titans basically, you know. Tyr showed up and said, hey, you guys are really good at this whole defense of the planet thing. I'm going to give you all kinds of power, like the power of the Titans, give you some of their essence or whatever, so you're kind of like supercharged dragons, and you're going to live for a really, really, really long time. And when it's all done, you're going to save the world, and it's going to be great. And then you're never going to have kids again, and you're all going to die. Like, that's now, not... Like, why? Now that's- there's there's... There's more that could be done there, too, right? Like, this doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all. I mean, we know for a fact that there are several, at it least semi-functional seems... Titan engines in the world. There's yeah, nothing that's that we just... can help that, right? It seems like an unnecessarily cruel fate yeah, assigned exactly. to the Dragonflights when they have diligently spent their lifetimes, like thousands and thousands and thousands of years watching over the world. Maybe some with more success than others, looking at you, Deathwing, looking at you, Malagos. Malagos... To be fair, Malagos had gone 
like, I mean, he had a gigantic swath of his flight completely wiped out and it drove him over Mad. the edge and into yeah. isolation, self-imposed isolation for like thousands of years. So you can't really, I mean, Malagos wasn't really corrupted so much as he came to his senses and saw what was going on and went, wait, no, this isn't Plus, right. There's a point they make in Chronicle 2 about Malagos that the Titans didn't tell the dragons one important secret. And so Malagos didn't know what he was doing was really bad. The Titans did not vouchsafe to the dragons that Azeroth was a nascent Titan. And so when he was moving the ley lines around to pull the magic way, he was taking them away from Azeroth. He was messing yep. around with the world soul, which was a bad, bad, yeah. bad thing. But like, And they didn't tell them. He didn't have that information. Why on earth wouldn't they tell them? That's, I mean, yeah, that that's not smart. kind of backwards, but okay. And it's um, not like the Titan Keepers didn't know it. The Keepers knew this. That's what they were there for. That's why they were organizing the yeah. world to begin with. But yeah, I mean, I like I said, it just feels like an unnecessarily cruel end to a bunch of creatures who have done nothing but try and help preserve the world as best as they can. So I, I, I hate... I hate that resolution, and I hope that that resolution, like, I mean, it's yes, fixed. they've said it in an Ask a Sea Dev, and it still hasn't been reflected in game anywhere, and I hope that it's not reflected in game, and maybe they dial that back a bit, because All you need I to can't do is establish imagine that an dragons... Azeroth without dragons. What will we ride around on? <laughs> you know what? I, honestly, what I would want to see is just, just go ahead and make it so that dragons are mortal now. Yeah. yeah, that'd be dragons fine. Have a fixed, dragons have a fixed lifespan. Maybe it's a really long lifespan, but it's a fixed lifespan, and then they die. And that's fine. They're not, you know, because they're not, dragons aren't proto-drakes. Proto-drakes are dumb. Yep. Make dragons it so that, cool. you know, it's the age of mortals, so we get to be mortal, too. Yeah, exactly. There and I mean, and, and they have plenty of outs on how they can do that, too, especially with, and, and I'm not going to get any spoilers or anything like that, but, like, I mean, with some of the things that are being talked about, even throughout Legion, with the the various Titan engines and the Titan energies, and the fact that we know that Azeroth is not necessarily awake, awake, but like cognizant of what is going on. I mean, Magni has made it very clear that she's talking through him to us as her champion multiple multiple times. I mean, there's got to be something somewhere that they could easily go back on and say, "Yeah, you're you're here. You go. You can, you know, propagate again, but just." You know, you again fix life. You, you're going to be mortal like everything else, and I I would be absolutely ecstatic with that because they are some of the coolest NPCs we have. Not just because you know they're flipping dragons, but because they're interesting characters. They have been for years. They all have distinct personalities. Like I mean, Chromie is a great example of a fan favorite, and Chromie is quirky as heck. Like. I like those things. I like those sort of NPCs that have like these weird sort of ways of looking at the world. And especially when they turn out to be, Oh, actually that's a dragon. Like I was just flying around the other day in game and I went through the vermilion, uh, redoubt again. And I really was like, I remember this just being such a cool moment of seeing like all of the red dragons sort of just like clutched around this one patch of like growth and, you know, talking with them and interacting with them and getting ready to, you know, assault the twilight cultists because, well, that's what we needed to do at the time. And it was like, I was just like, that's cool. That's, that's like a cool little thing. I don't want those moments to go away. No. Um, 
As far as Alex Raza being one of the two OG aspects still kicking, yeah, you're right. There's Alex Raza and there's Noz Dormu, and Noz Dormu's time is limited in one way or another because we know that eventually, at some point in the future, he's going to become Murazond and we will defeat him. How far into the future that is, don't know. But it's one of those timelines that is going to come to pass because we've lived it, the other end of it. Bronze dragons are really complicated. <laughs> I feel like we should emphasize that. With, Bronze with, dragons with are really complicated. <laughs> but we do know that Nazdormu, I mean, part of the reason he withdrew was he was trying to figure out what had happened in to create this snared tangle of timelines and then he found himself at the set well he found Murazon at the center and realized that was him um and somewhere along the line something happened well we haven't reached that point where that something has happened it's all very timey-wimey Doctor Who um esque if you want to look at it that way and eventually we're going to get to the silence in the library moment and Nozdarmu is going to fall whether we have anything to do with it or not we don't even know we might be the impetus and the reason behind Nazdormo's transformation. The infinite dragonflight might be our fault. We don't know. So... I thought the ultimate visual guide mentioned that we did kill him. We did. We killed Murazond. Yeah. We killed Murazond. We, we, but there's still that moment where Nazdormu transforms. We haven't gotten there yet. That's true. And I mean, if I remember correctly from that, it's the... He was tricked by old gods in order to try to subvert his own mortality, which is I find very, very interesting. Because I'm wondering, I'm wondering how we've, if we've disrupted that at all, or when that moment's going to come. Especially because because it's all back and forth and sideways all over the place. And because we know that the old gods are still active, like we've talked about this a lot. We've been killing off, like we've killed an aspect. We killed an aspect in Cataclysm, obviously, because we killed uh, Deathwing. Yeah. And in Wrath, we killed Malagos. Yeah. So we didn't kill any in Mists of Pandaria that I'm aware of. And we didn't kill any in Warlords because we were on Draenor. <laughs> but we lost one in in Legion. I don't. We can't say we killed it, but we lost Ysera. one in Legion. Ysera, kind of. So it would mm-hmm. make sense in, 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 in an expansion that's looking like it's going heavy Old God. This might be the expansion where the Old Gods finally get. Uh, Nos Darmo to become Murazond. It would make perfect sense, at least to me. It would be the perfect opportunity. Well, here's what I'm wondering is, if this is the expansion in which that happens, does this tie into the whole Deaths of Chromie scenario? Because we still don't know who tried to kill Chromie. I I still think it's a certain certain someone orchestrating it from a certain throne. But, you know, that's me. (gasps) I know, right? I think it it was Chromie. I don't... Like an infinite version of Chromie? Oh, well... Yes, but no. I mean, I that think doesn't it was make possible. any sense, though, because the thing is, is like the note that you find says it's it's a dragon. Oh my gosh, it's a dragon! Like they they're surprised to find well, she out she didn't tell them who she was. Yeah, so it's like, but it's like the attacker, the person, whoever it is that's attacking Chromie, is surprised by the reveal that she is a dragon. So it can't be Chromie. And I guess well, at that point, Chromie it, could, it unless... wouldn't really be Nosdormu either, or Murazond, or the Infinite. They should all know that the Chromie is a dragon. Yeah, they they well, they should all but, be really well acquainted by, with Chromie by this point, you know. Should the should the Lich King know? I mean, I don't think thing. so because there's been no interaction inter- between. I was going to say how much how yeah. much interaction has Bolvar and Chromie ever really had? None. Zero. None. Yeah, the only the only interaction would be that she was at Anderhall. 
Um, yeah, but he wasn't. Bolvar wasn't at Anderhall, was he? No, but the, but the Lich King forces were, right? Yeah, but that was pre-Bolvar. But if we go back to what we talked about about the Lich King being an entity of of a, a amalgamation of its own, then by putting on but the Chronicle helmet and taking much on that just mantle, that point yeah. though. Yeah. Although you know we are assuming that Chromie's attacker is coming from like say now or later than now, and that's Could not something you can necessarily assume be from the past. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's there's time. It's stuff. our level sixty characters. It's our level fifty eight characters going playing through the Western oh Plaguelands in vanilla, going Oh my god. <laughs> it's all our fault. <laughs> Clearly. Um, as far as Alex Raza goes though, uh with Callie's question, Alex Raza, uh, do how long do we think that she's gonna last with Bolvar and Rathian out there? Now, I don't think that Alex Raza really has anything to worry about as far as Rathian is concerned. He was did he murder a whole mess of red dragons? Yes, he absolutely did, but that's because they were coming to kill him and he wanted none of that. Mm-hmm. Um since then they have left each other alone. And there seems to be like this stalemate um, in war crimes. He's actually at the trial when Alex Straza is at the trial and none of them are really like there's no antagonism or anything between any of them. Um, he's a purified egg. He's also his own entity and he doesn't want. I, I think that a lot of what the Red Dragon Flight was trying to do initially they took the egg into their possession because they figured, well, they could watch over it and make sure that it's raised right and da-da-da-da-da and kind of like shelter it and keep it, you know, contained or whatever just yeah. in case it happened to be some kind of malevolent entity. Well, Rathion didn't want to have anything to do with that, so he arranged to have his own egg kidnapped and taken to Ravenholt and didn't want anything to do with the Red Dragonflight. I mean, why would he? They killed his mother, they deliberately yeah. arranged to have his mother killed. They, his existence yeah. was the result of extreme torture, which wasn't like there was nothing pleasant about that at all. Why would he want to have anything to do with the Red Dragon Flight? Plus, wasn't so, like his entire thing against them was that he didn't want to be controlled. He didn't want to be yeah, controlled. That's, that's pretty much yeah. it. It's just he didn't want to be the subject of somebody else's control. And he made a very good point. I feel like Alex Strazzo would like be sympathetic to that. Yeah, I think so. Um... I know that she wasn't directly present out there in the Badlands or anything like that when all of that was going on, but I think that if Rathion had presented his case before her, she would understand and be like, okay, yeah, you don't bug us, we don't bug you, hands off Azeroth, okay? And, like, that's that. We haven't really heard much of anything from Rathion beyond that one tiny little moment in the going back to the Deaths of Chromie scenario. He was there. And he was like, oh, I was just, you know, passing through. Rathion is never just passing through anywhere. He's never he's never just casually happens to be in <laughs> the nope, most suspicious we... place. No, that's not... There's something more going on there that we still haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, and we still don't know the extent of what he saw when he ate the heart, like, and what he's recollecting. Like, we don't know... No. We don't know what the long game is for him quite yet. Um, he might actually have moved on from the Legion to the Old Gods as his yeah. primary antagonists. Yeah. Because the Legion, as dangerous as they were, aren't the threat to Azeroth that, you know, the, the final Titan he's trying to rebuild, they're not the threat to it that uh, the Old Gods are. But also, Bolvar is much more likely to have problems with Melixstraza. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's got a grudge there. I'm, uh, I'm, she's anything, the one that's sure. kind of arranged his whole eternal 
life. Well, let me put it this way. Again, without dropping spoilers for the Death Knight mount quest. Yeah. Don't it is that. not a quest. It's not a quest that the Red Dragons approve of. Let no. me put it that way. <laughs> but, I mean, I guess my other aspect of that, too, is if he's got such a grudge, what, what other perfect hell to put her in than being the last one alive? Making her all alone. Like, with nothing else. Because, like, that, that is one of the things, like, Alex Straza uh, characterized quite a, quite a few times throughout our interactions with her over the years is that, like, you know, losing her mate and then, you know, losing her, her sister and everything else. Like, these are all things that just sort of, like, keep building up. And it's, like, a per- it's better than killing or corrupting her is just making her miserable, making so, her live with that misery well, just, also, like, just like he had to. She's also kind of his direct opposition in a way because she's the life binder and he's the lich king. Sure. She commands, like, she's the guardian of all life and, you know, the propagator of life on Azeroth, and Bolvar is the direct opposite of that. What's interesting about that is that he came into that position because of her intervention. If she had not directed the Red Dragons to pretty much torch the place with their flames kind of like the eternal flames that kept Bolvar alive and in that weird crispy critter state that he is now on the frozen throne if she hadn't done that he would not be where he is right now whether that's or not true. that's a good thing we don't know just yet I'm actually working on a know your lore for tomorrow that should be pretty interesting on that kind of front for those of you that are listening to the show on Patreon you'll see that tomorrow For those of you that are listening to the podcast version, which will be next week, hey, look at last week's Know Your Lore. It was really good. (laughs) There's also the fact that Bolvar isn't that kind of evil. I don't want to say evil because evil seems like it's simplistic, but Bolvar is very much, he, he, he does things in a way that's very military. I've noticed this with his Lich King. His, his decisions all accrue from like a mission type perspective Go do this thing. Which makes sense. And when you do that thing, okay, the next stage is to do this thing. And these things add together to increase our position. Like, he, he, he acts in a, in a way... I've said this before. Bolvar as the Lich King is actually more terrifying than Arthas as the Lich King because Arthas was ruled very much by his passionate nature. He wanted to, like... He joined the Silver Hand because he wanted to save the world. Can I interrupt you for a second just to point out something sure. that I find yeah. really interesting? Bolvar is the Lich King now. He is the Lich King. And yet, people all over the place still refer to him as Bolvar, like in-game. Like NPCs. They talk They talk about him and they use the name Bolvar. Which is odd. It's like they're humanizing the Lich King. And well, that some of those seems people to don't, be yeah. a really bad idea. I think part of the problem there is that some of those people are speaking in the past tense and they don't know he's the Lich King too. Yeah, but I mean, like, even in yeah. the Death Knight stuff, when I was doing the Death Knight stuff, they're like, oh, hey, Bolvar said, and I'm like, Bolvar, yeah. no, that's not Bolvar. Are, are I, you saying I, that's Bolvar? Because I don't think that's... I. Here's my problem. I don't think that that's Bolvar 4 Dragon anymore. I don't yeah, think... I can see I that, think yeah. maybe there's there's a tiny piece of him there. Maybe. Because he hasn't taken the ch- weird child version of himself and locked it up under the frozen throne just yet, like Arthas did. But I don't think that's Bolvar. I think that's the Lich King. And I think those are two very, very different things. And I think the fact that people are still referring to the Lich King as Bolvar is that's kind of a foolish thing for them to be doing. 
Well, I mean, that's sort of the foolish thing we always do as, like, and well, it's like characters Jaina even. calling it's, the Lich King Arthas. That yeah. wasn't Arthas. That Sen- was not Sen- Arthas. It, it's sentimentality. Sentimentality is the downfall that we always fall to. Like, it's the yeah. one thing that, that for even the old gods can always count on us, like... You know, oh, they're going to have feelings about this time to exploit it. Like that, that's that's yeah, sort of just how it the goes. The interesting thing, too, though, is with with Bolvar as Lich King. Well, the, the in each case, with each Lich King that we've had, when Ner'zhul was the Lich King, when Arthas was the Lich King, the Lich King basically is that person at the it's like you take that person as the seed crystal and you throw it into a bucket and watch the solution, you know, crystallize out. The crystallizing out is the Lich King. That's the thing you're dealing with. It's this tiny piece of the original person, and, and then you build this thing around it. The Lich King we have now is built around Bolvar's practicality and his very forthright nature, in much the same way that the Lich King we had when you know during Wrath of the Lich King was built around Arthas's need to be right and his need to do grand gestures to save the world. I that feel was like Arthas. it's less crystallization, and it's more like taking an object and putting it in a bucket of paint thinner eventually that object is going to kind of like decay and wither away and you're going to end up with this toxic sludge that it's sitting in and we're dealing with that toxic sludge and there might be a little sliver of bolvar still in the middle there but it's being worn away bit by bit until it'll be gone you know what i mean i'm not sure i mean we need to see more from what we get from all, from I the, feel like it's, just, it, it's like an inevitability that eventually that piece that was Bolvar, or in the case of Arthas, that piece that was Arthas, it'll wither away until it's just gone. Maybe. I wanted to see, that's one of the reasons I want to see more about the Four Dragon family. Uh, I, I've kind of got this obsession about the Four Dragon line because um, there's a statue in Stormwind. And that statue is mirrored in the Paladin Order Hall of Lady Mara Fordragon. And what they, what you know about her is is not much. We we know that she was the High Clarist of Stormwind, and that she took part in the evacuation of Stormwind. And she's even said to be the patron of the the refugees who fled Stormwind during the war, the first war. And she was Bolvar's wife, yeah. right? We don't know. Oh, okay. we don't know who she was. Uh, she might have been his mother, uh, because. Bolvar's wife, again, without going into too many spoilers for Battle for Azeroth, we know that Bolvar's wife was from Lordaeron. Lady Mara was from Stormwind. Okay, and so she was somebody a, different. She, yeah, she was from Stormwind. She's a, a contemporary of the, the paladins who became you know the first paladins, and she's a contemporary of Anduin Lothar. And she's said to have basically been protecting and guarding the people that fled Stormwind and both statues of her are her with a sword and a shield in armor. Despite the fact that she's a high clerist, she doesn't say paladin anywhere except she's in the paladin order hall. So huh, was she a that's paladin? Interesting. If she was a paladin, did she become a paladin after the first five or is she considered a paladin now because she could fight and wear armor and use the Holy light despite having like never actually, posthumous yeah. paladin like thing almost yeah. yeah somebody like them you know as a high clerist she's very likely to be a member of the the holy order of northshire clerics the same order that um ben, not benedictus uh, uh in fail was in she's very likely to be a member of that order she's very likely if she was the high clerist of stormwind she's very important but we don't know much about her 
was she someone that Bolvar like would have looked up to? Was she his mother? Was she his aunt? Was she some older relative, an older sister? Who was she? What did Second she do? Second once removed. Yeah. Just because <laughs> the fact that it's it's unlikely that Four Four Dragon is like a, the Smith of Azeroth. You know what I'm saying? This is a pretty distinctive last name to be carrying around. If your name is Mara Four Dragon, you are almost certainly related to Bolvar Four Dragon in some way. How was she? You know, and that's I want to know that because we need more about Bolvar as a person. Yeah, we don't have a lot of that. Well, I mean, we we know a lot about what made him up because I mean. Anybody who played through Vanilla and played through that Anixia chain remembers Bolvar Four Dragon single-handedly facing down how many dragonkin in Stormwind's throne room oh, and yeah, just yeah. whooping their butts. You don't. You did not have to help him. It was. Oh. It was so good. And Actually, it was jumping just, in to help him is going to get you killed. Yeah, that that whole sequence was just. I remember the first time I saw that, and he's just ripping through those things like they're wet paper, and he's not anywhere near death at all and i'm like that dude is a hero like that was my immediate thought was just that dude is so amazing i want to be like him right and that was my initial impression of bullfart four dragon was that guy because <laughs> before that you didn't really i mean he was standing there next to anwin and he gave you a couple quests i think but you didn't really like talk to him too much you didn't you didn't get much of a sense of of person around him um it was rare to find an npc in vanilla that did anything out of the ordinary and by ordinary i mean just handed you quests even even thrall when you went and talked to thrall thrall mostly he gave you quests every once in a while he would shout about your heroism or whatever and give out like a buff that reached all the way out into um oh crossroads even they got the buff for ren's death and for Anixia's death, which was really cool. But they didn't really leave. They didn't go anywhere, and they didn't really do anything unless the Alliance happened to be attacking or the Horde happened to be attacking for, you know, Alliance NPCs. So Bolvar was kind of my first experience with an NPC that actually jumped up and did something, and it was sort of extraordinary to watch. Anyway, we're kind of getting off topic. We totally got off topic on both of these. Sorry, guys, but you got a lot of discussion out of it. Um... Do we have time for one more email? One more quick email? I don't know if we can do one quick email. I was going to sure. say, quick, quick email quick an email with us is usually not. <laughs> well, there's a quick email in here because it's something that we discussed when we were talking about Chronicle, and I just kind of wanted to reiterate it. Give it a shot. Okay. All right. Uh, this is going to be our last one, though, and we will just carry these other ones over into another episode. Uh, this one is from Aleph, who says, Hi, Lore Watch. Why the freaking heck did Blizzard retcon the last few chapters of Terror of the Tides from Chronicle? The entire subplot of Tyrande getting swept into the river, Maiev lying to Malfurion, the Stormrage brothers working together to save Tyrande, and the three of them parting in relative peace is all gone, and I don't know for what purpose it serves to remove that. Thanks for hearing me out. Yours, Aleph. If you um, get an encyclopedia and you look up World War Two in the encyclopedia, it does not mention everything that happened in World War Two. I was just going to... What I was going to reiterate is, and we mentioned this in the Chronicle episode, we talked about this quite a bit. It's not really a retcon. They just didn't mention it. It would be a retcon if they said, oh, yes, and Taronda went with Maiev and they skipped and held hands and picked flowers on their way to visit Malfurion and everything was perfectly okay and all three of them were absolutely fine. It doesn't, it doesn't negate anything that happened in that last bit of Terror of the Tides. It just doesn't mention it. 
Yeah, an omission omission is not retcon, and right. that 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 needs to be like ex- expressly in your thoughts when you're reading, especially something like you know, Rossi said like an encyclopedia or, uh, in this case, Chronicle. You have to have that grain of salt or that that mentality in the back of your head that just because they didn't mention it doesn't mean it didn't happen. And- it wrapped up. They wrapped up everything from going all the way back to the Third War, yeah. straight through to Cataclysm. They left out a lot of things, guys. Particularly when you're dealing with a book that is as dense as Chronicle is, and you're dealing with what very likely was, you know, like a page limit, a limit to the number of pages in the book, or a limit to the number of words on the page. Some things had to be omitted. Something like the whole thing with Maev chucking Taronda or letting her wash down the river and all of that other stuff, that's all side stuff, but it's side stuff where you can't just casually mention it and move on. It requires further explanation, and I don't think that they had the space to dedicate to that. Um, Not in something that's just as kind of, you know, cut and dry as Chronicle is. So, again, I, I don't call it a retcon. Because they didn't say, oh, no, it never happened. It's just, it didn't make it to the book. That's all. Um, yeah, there are specific retcons in that book. Mm-hmm. The, the, you know, the, that part is not one of them. They just simply glossed exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, it's the same with Illidan trying to blow up the Frozen Throne. They didn't go into a lot of detail on that either. No, I they think just, that got like know, a paragraph or a couple of lines. Yeah. <laughs> Did not talk. Yeah, they did not talk about it in any great detail. Um, the, whereas, you know, Chogall, yeah, they retconned the heck out of what Chogall was up to, uh, but but that was for the good. But you know, the the, the stuff like you know that that or things like you know what was Lady Vosh doing? That they just they glossed it because they didn't have time. Okay, that wraps us up. Or, Joe, did you have anything to add? I'm sorry. Nope, that's it. Okay. All right. That wraps us up for emails. That's also going to wrap us up for the show this time around. Um, for you guys, the listeners of Blizzard Watch and Lore Watch, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial, and that'll give you the opportunity to check out their service. Blizzard has a lot of titles that are available on Audible right now. I don't know. Rossi, do you know offhand if the Diablo books are on there or no? I don't know offhand, but I'm pretty sure they're not. Okay. Um, they were, they, they've basically... They're old, and they haven't really done much with them. Okay, so I didn't know if they even surprised. released audio versions of those particular books. They should. Blizzard, if you're listening, you should get on that. Not, not the older ones, but like Diablo 3, The Order is. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yep. Well, you can get one Diablo book on there. There's a whole mess of Warcraft books on there, and I believe it's still available there. You can use your free 30-day trial. You get you get like a free audiobook download. You can use that free download to pre-order the audiobook version of Before the Storm, which comes out next month. I'm so excited. <laughs> Is it next month or the end of this month? I think it's next month. Anyway, regardless, that's the new World of Warcraft book that's coming out by Chrissy Golden and involves kind of the lead into Battle for Azeroth. Uh, you could download that you can download many of blizzard's other titles or you know a whole mess of other books as well audible has a ton uh you can hit that up by going to blizzardwatch.com slash audible and signing up for your free 30-day trial blizzard watch it's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzard watch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow blizzard watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads-free site experience um 
closing thoughts, you guys. I'm going to go back to Diablo because that actually took up a good chunk of the show today, but I kind of enjoyed that conversation here. Um, as a final thought, if there was a Diablo 4, what do you think it should address? Briefly. I'm going to put that caveat in there. Briefly. So maybe like a two, three sentence summary of what you think it should cover. Rossi, go. What happened to Leah? Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Joe? Yeah, I was going to actually say the same thing because that's the biggest loose end as far as I'm concerned. I think probably what happened to Leah is also high on my priority list. But I also, that whole bit at the end of Reaper of Souls, and I know I keep going back to this, but that whole bit at the end of Reaper of Souls where Tyrael is just kind of like frightened of the Nephilim, I want to see what the fallout from that is. I want to see, I want to see what happens with the Nephilim now that all of this other stuff is taken care of, are they going to rise up and become this threat again that all of a sudden the high heavens and the burning hells are going to have to deal with or what's up with that? And yeah, I don't know if it, if Diablo four should be like world of Diablo or just straight up Diablo four. I think just straight up Diablo four. Cause come on, you can't really beat Diablo three's gameplay. It's, it's really good. Anyway, that wraps us up for the show. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. 